Hello, and welcome to episode three. I'm Megan Meredith, your host on this podcast, as well as here in this campground. Our community is growing, and I want to start every episode with a grateful heart to all of you who are choosing to support this space. I hope that you're enjoying what you find here, and feel free to let me know what you want more of. As some of you know, um, and in case you're just tuning into this space, I am a yoga instructor and an author as well. I've been teaching for several years, um, but I grew up in a extreme religion of origin in a very sheltered and legalistic family of origin. Um, and in that space, yoga was, now mind you, this was like the 80s and 90s. Yoga was new age and it was like a dangerous cult. And um, anything new age was uh, very villainized and demonized. Um, meditation was evil because if the goal was to empty your mind, all sorts of demonic notions and you know entities could get in. And quite frankly, you know, hippies were idiots. And um, really, you know that the idea was that because we're supposed to be filling up our minds with things of God constantly, and really there isn't anything good in the world or inside of you. So if we're only supposed to be focusing on God because everything else is bad, um, then we should never pursue emptiness of the mind as a goal. So <laughs> I, I just, you know, like if you struggle with anxiety, like I do, you just like my mind immediately goes like, hello, <laughs> whoever came up with these rules and ideas had no idea how debilitating anxiety can be. I, I would give anything, and I think anyone who struggles with any level of stress or anxiety would give anything for their brain to be still, you know? But I've learned a lot about meditating since my teacher training several years ago. And so this is something that is important to me just because I've been on both sides of that line. And so here's something we can talk about, meditation. Webster actually defines meditate as to think deeply or to focus one's mind for a period of time in silence or with the aid of chanting for religious and spiritual purposes or as a method of relaxation. Also, to think or to focus. Also, to plan. So all three of those definitions are what the literal definition is. I think back then in the 80s and 90s in my um, religion of origin, I think it was ideas like enlightenment and Zen, maybe even bliss that got people scared of meditation, of um, quote unquote new age ideas or concepts or religions. Even though... <laughs> And this is something that we're going to start doing regularly because I really love definitions. Um, and I think it really aids in um, having realistic conversations about things and understanding things and even opening the mind to new things and growth is to literally define the things that we've been... We, sometimes we have harsh opinions about things we don't even actually know what they mean. Um, I've actually been called words before that come to find out that person didn't even know what it meant, and yet they were labeling me as that, and that is really funny to me. But um, enlightenment actually just means to give spiritual or intellectual insight or to give information 
or to shed light or illuminate. So the literal definition of enlightenment is just to add information to, (laughs) which makes me laugh because it always seemed like this dangerous thing, like that they were searching for enlightenment. Well, yes, they're searching for new information. They're searching to expand their knowledge on something. They're, They're searching for a new awareness or to expand their understanding. And I guess now on this side of things, I actually understand why, and we'll get to this, I understand why people discourage, especially in extreme religions, people discourage and even ban ideas like this because it actually does educate people further. And it um, and it might negate some of what they're teaching. So, but we'll get there. Um, Zen is actually defined as a state of calm, attentiveness in which one's actions are guided by intuition rather than by conscious effort. Again, I can totally see how some people are afraid of that. And if you are taught, if you are conditioned that you have no good in you, then obviously you are programmed to not trust your intuition, to not trust red flags, to not trust your own gut, to not listen to your heart, to not trust your own brain even. And so, of course, you wouldn't want to get to this place where you are calm and attentive and you're actually um, aware of your intuition because we're actually conditioned to the opposite, to not trust our intuition and to consciously control everything. That's actually the the place that we're supposed to be. (laughs) And that's the place that I grew up in, is consciously trying to control everything and everyone around me. Bliss is defined as a complete happiness or even paradise slash heaven. So again, I can totally see how this is not encouraged because if you believe that heaven is this thing that you get a ticket into by doing certain things and jumping through certain hoops and it's this thing that you can't attain until you die, then of course there's no way to experience that now. Um, And that's something that is, you know, preached and taught prevalently. And also happiness is actually not encouraged, um, which is a very strange thought, but it's real that we are supposed to pursue, um, I grew up in this space anyway, this is not widely accepted, I'm just saying that this is my experience. We grew up in a space where happiness was not valued, actually um, indestructible joy that comes from suffering was valued, but not like momentary happiness, that we, sh- that we shouldn't seek happiness. That was very, very clear in the space that I grew up in. But kind of speaking to that space, uh, I just want to speak to my skeptics who might be listening that, that value the Bible very highly because I actually see a lot of evidence for meditation in the Bible. And so I'm just going to read off a couple things that might resonate with you. Um, in Genesis, and I'll put all of these verses, the actual context, in the show notes. But for, I mean, just for today, I'm just going to read where it comes from. From Genesis, um, Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the evening tide. Isaiah You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In Joshua, study this book of instructions continually, meditate on it day and night. 
in Philippians. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So meditate a stayed mind and fixed thoughts. Interesting concepts that actually come from the Bible. Richard Rohr says that all spiritual disciplines have one purpose, to get rid of illusions so that we can be present. I love Richard Rohr. Just as a general <laughs> general thought, I love Richard Rohr. So all across different spiritual disciplines and spiritual ideas and schools of thought is actually this thread of meditation, the ability to get rid of illusions, like Richard Rohr says, and be present in the moment, to actually be able to control the thoughts, to fix the mind on on whatever, whatever it is that you're seeking, whatever it is that you're trying to attain. This is a, a widely accepted, and maybe we're using different language, but it's a widely accepted term of being able to focus the mind. I mean, Webster even considers to plan meditation. <laughs> and so all my my planners out there, you're actually meditating, whether you know it or not, you're meditating on your day and what needs to get done. So if we if we rearrange our language, that's part of part of why I wanted to talk about this. What if we rearrange our language, it doesn't have to be this scary, weird new age concept. It is the ability to focus the mind and engage the thoughts and tune out distractions. As I study meditation, I find that there's a lot of Christian commentary on the subject. And specifically this week, I found an article by Christianity Today, and it stated that the biblical principle of meditation was very different than what people today think of meditation. And, and they were suggesting that it was greatly influenced, that the, the concept today was greatly influenced by the Eastern tradition which actually literally made me laugh out loud because Christianity originated in the East. It is from Eastern tradition. It is an Eastern religion. Jesus Christ was of Eastern origin. I think statements like this is how we got to this westernized, whitewashed version of Christianity and how we've come to this place where we feel like we have the ability to demonize anything that is other and especially anything that comes from Eastern tradition. It's like, when did we become so disconnected from the actual origin? So after some more digging and some more research this week based on this article, I actually found, this was new information to me, so we're learning together, which is I love, The word meditation, like in those verses in Psalms and in the Old Testament, the meditation is a translation of the word, and I won't pretend to know how to say this, I'm just going to spell it for you, is H-A-G-H-U-T-H, Haggath, maybe? Um, It comes from the word Hagha, H-A-G-H-A-H. And there are several variations of this word throughout the Psalms, but they all seem to mean something like to murmur, to speak in a deep tone, sighing or singing, moaning, or even to bow down. So let's put all that together. So we're murmuring, we're moaning, and we're bowing down. 
And all of this in the Hebrew word, the original word, the Eastern tradition word means meditation. So in their mind, meditating, like Isaac went out to the field to meditate, he was doing some variation of moaning, murmuring, sighing, bowing down. So let's compare. To murmur in a deep tone, to sigh or to moan, bowing down. That sounds awfully Middle Eastern of King David or the psalmist or even Isaac in the Old Testament. But wait, they actually were Middle Eastern. So I say that kind of salty because it makes me laugh sometimes to realize the things that we are so opposed to in our westernized version of Christianity when in all reality, the the origin story of Christianity is maybe not that far away from what Christianity today is calling greatly influenced by Eastern tradition. Maybe the origin story is a whole lot more Eastern tradition than we realize, and we've just changed it. We've morphed it. We've whitewashed it. And so if you find yourself leery of the word meditation in today's culture, in today's religious settings, in your spiritual practice, or if you're completely resistant and opposed to trying meditation, let's start there because that's an okay place to be. And honestly, that's where I started as well. I grew up in that space and I was completely opposed. I was completely resistant. But I want to talk about the point of meditation. So some of the elements of meditation is to become aware of the present moment. So in a meditation practice, we, we learn how to move past distraction into the ability to focus the mind. And we do that using our breath to focus on the present moment, to kind of settle into our body, to just create like bodily awareness. And then through that, you learn to not react to every stimulus, whether it's outside the body, whether it's within the body, whether it's in the mind, to just like notice the stimulus, the um, whatever sort of assaulting the senses at the moment, to learn how to quite literally breathe your way through being stimulated. And the second thing I would say that that is an element of meditation is learning to interrupt the rumination cycle. And this is a big one for me just because as an author and just the way my mind works, it's constantly ruminating. I'm constantly writing things in my head. I'm constantly creating dialogue or commentary on a situation. I'm constantly listening to other people's conversations, kind of cataloging things. That's just the way my brain works. So the mind can be like a hamster wheel, constantly spinning and even oscillating between the past and the future. And so using meditation, we focus the mind on a single phrase or even just the breath and sometimes it's an object you know you can use um, a candle flame or a fire or just a literal object a 3d object to control your thoughts to focus your energy and your awareness on and that creates that pathway neurologically of interrupting that rumination cycle which I know a lot of people would benefit from (laughs) Um, the third thing is unlocking a new awareness or consciousness to the divine. And and just to be in, inclusive, um, that, that can be whatever version of divine you understand at the moment. 
on your journey, whatever that means for you. Um, understanding some new part of yourselves, understanding some new relationship between you and God, you and the universe, you and the earth. Um, and really what that means, getting yourself out of the way. Again, removing that stimulus, removing the rumination cycle, and then just having the ability to expand your thoughts, expand your awareness just a little bit, inching its way out to a wider consciousness of your reality. I know so many people, including myself, who have been conditioned, were conditioned to be opposed to meditation. But I'll also say those people, some of them, I have friends that don't understand the point of prayer that there are many Christians who would argue (laughs) the point of prayer. And there's actually plenty of books out there that are arguing the point of prayer, and you have different schools of thought on the subject. But I also have friends that, that are opposed to meditation, but they don't like prayer. And they might even fall asleep attempting to create a prayer life, a prayer practice, if you will, um, because what westernized Christianity would suggest is the point of prayer seems pointless to them. And I think most of us that are in that camp, that is true of us because we have this disconnect between prayer and meditation. We've decided prayer has nothing to do with our minds, much less our bodies, um, much less our breath, you know, and there's this thing that happens, and all of my other yoga teachers would, would I think, agree with some level of this, that there's this thing that happens when someone actually connects with their breath. And I don't mean this to sound weird or kooky, but it's like, it's like they've been outside of their body, and when they learn to connect with their breath, all of a sudden it's like they drop into it. They drop into their bodies and they're like finally in their body. And it's the weirdest thing because I've actually experienced it and then I've witnessed it in other people. And meditation is one of those things that helps you do that. Not just yoga or even any sort of movement, but just learning to breathe and sit helps you get into your body. And I think that there's this great disconnect between the the body and the mind and the soul. And so there's this disconnect between prayer and meditation, and there's a disconnect between our bodies and our minds and our souls. And so you put all that together and we're just compartmentalized. We can't cultivate any of that. We can't stop the rumination cycle. We can't create or expand our awareness. We can't um, be present in the moment, especially if prayer to you is um, some sort of formula that God wants from you, um, that you have to present yourself a certain way for Him to hear you and for Him to grant requests as if He's a genie or something. And prayer, it it's not a formula. And meditation's not a formula. And neither one of them are sort of this like cosmic hall pass that gains you entry into something that no one else has access to. It's not It's not something that you have to perfect or have some sort of ultra spirituality in order to have these two kind of practices, prayer and meditation. And, and lots of times they're blending together and it becomes the same thing, which is what I've experienced. Um, and I would say that I 
was always a person who prayed and it was very conversational to me and it felt very natural. But I know that that not a lot of people feel that way, um, not only about their relationship with God or the divine, but also just like talking to someone who's not there. Um, so meditation came fairly naturally to me once I switched over to that camp, so to say, um, because prayer was always fairly natural. But the meshing of the two has been the beautiful part where it's really the, it's enlightened me to more of the actual point of prayer, learning how to meditate. But I think the biggest disconnect is our bodies and our minds and our souls. Meditation is a practice of getting into your body. Allowing your mind to be aware of your body sounds so elementary, but sometimes that's the hardest part is actually being aware of your body and allowing your mind and your body to be present in what the body is experiencing. And again, it's strange to be an adult and just now learning how to experience my body, but that's that's a real thing. And I think more and more people are learning that and I'm I'm not quite sure how that didn't get translated as children. But I promise you, I never had that as a child. I never had that as an adolescent. I was completely disjointed from my body and even my brain and certainly my soul. Even though the soul was talked about a lot, it was very compartmentalized. And it was like you had to attack the body for its problems and you had to attack the brain because it couldn't be trusted. And you really had to... um, separate yourself from your soul because your soul was, um, you know, also couldn't be trusted and inherently evil and sinful. And so there was a compartmentalization of all of those elements. And so I think when that happens, just even being allow, allowing your body to be aware of itself in space <laughs> and time and also what the body is experiencing is a relatively new concept to me um, and probably to a lot of other people that, that experience life similarly to myself. Meditation is a practice of allowing the mind to stop running. You can call that emptying if you must, <laughs> but we, I think we all understand the need to stop the hamster wheel. And our primitive brain that is jumping from thing to thing, lots of people will call this the monkey brain, that you're kind of hopping from branch to branch and you're just very um, hedonistic and trauma information would call it your lizard brain, like your um, your very reactionary survival brain. We A lot of us live in that space and um, that primitive brain It just jumps from thing to thing and it's constantly ruminating on the past or worrying about the future or thinking about physical needs in the present. But that's about all that we're thinking about. Um, Learning to stop that and to focus on the present, what the body is experiencing, what emotions you're experiencing, what the brain is doing. Learning to interrupt those cycles and just be present is really beneficial in lots of ways. And we'll get there. But from there, learning to focus on a certain object, a phrase or an attribute, once we've learned to interrupt that hamster wheel, we can open our mind to more than just those primitive thoughts that we're jumping from thing to thing about. We can think bigger. We can think more intuitively. And that is actually, I think, how we connect with the divine. Now, 
some people will call this different things, speaking of the divine. I call it God, and lots of people call it other things. And I'm okay with that, because here's where I've landed. I don't have to control everybody's language about a thing. That's actually not my job. (laughs) I can experience it, and I can see what lands for me, and I can continue to practice even if someone else is doing something different than me, even if they're calling it something else, even if they're experiencing it a slightly different way than me, and has, and even if they're attaching some sort of religion to it, I'm not in charge of that other person. I'm not in charge of what they're doing, and, and actually what they're doing unless it's physically harming me in some way, it has something to do with me, you know? Um, I'm not actually in charge of what those people are doing and what they're calling things. And so I allow so much space lately in my own life and in my classes for, for other people's journeys and whatever that means to them and however that's landing for them. Because literally, God knows that, that my journey, I've believed— a million things along the way. And I have come to new understandings along the way. And I have learned new versions of definitions. And I have learned to redefine things for myself. And I have deconstructed everything and put it back together in a way that makes sense. And um, and I'm okay with that. So I speak vaguely of the divine because I have friends that call it something else. And I have friends that have figured out what that means for them to have God within them and be able to connect with that God within and access a new understanding and awareness of what that means to actually have divine within, but also this like cosmic understanding, this mysterious God who made the universe and is in all things, and um, we can experience God through all things. I have my understanding that I currently understand, <laughs> and you have a, an understanding that you currently understand, and and I'm open to understanding new things, and maybe you are, and maybe you're not, and that's okay, but I'm not, not actually in charge of what other people call it or understand it as. So, and that's just kind of me speaking to why I'm using that language. So in thinking about skepticism and being on the other side of that fence, here are some things that might get in the way of us even attempting to experience meditation or experiment with meditation. Kind of like I mentioned before, the way I felt about things back then was a very compartmentalized view of life. And, um, and there are reasons for that, and that's a different podcast. <laughs> but I will say that I think a lot of people, especially coming from any sort of um, evangelical realm or extreme religion or even a cult, that you might end up with, as an adult, a very compartmentalized view of life, that this does not affect that. And I can operate this in a vacuum, and it has nothing to do with this. And this is not going to directly affect that. And so I can view life this way. <laughs> um, and and when that is your view of life as a whole, as a broad spectrum, then the body, the soul, and the brain all get compartmentalized as well. When you experience meditation, you begin to realize that um, life is a holistic thing. It is the body as a whole, and, and nothing actually operates in a vacuum. That the body, the soul, and the brain are actually so intertwined that you can't 
I'm not even really sure how we separated them in our minds because everything is so inextricably connected that the way you're talking to yourself actually affects your neural pathways, which affects your nervous system, which affects your heart rate, which affects, I mean, everything affects everything. So learning to view the experience of life holistically is not only a new concept, but also a very healthy concept. But viewing it very compartmentalized can actually get in the way of you attempting to experience meditation because that won't even make sense to you that you can focus the mind by using the breath. I would say the biggest thing that gets in the way is fear. And I think that that will come into play in several ways, more than I've just named. But here are the three big that I thought of. Skepticism is actually from that root of fear. Skepticism is being afraid of anything that is other. It is negating things in your mind simply because you're afraid of them. Um, Escapism is um, sort of the inability to tolerate emotions. Escapism is something that we all do, but I think that the inability to kind of sit in it has the effect on our bodies that we want to escape it. We want to distract ourselves. Really, the inability to tolerate emotions and even sitting in the discomfort of something is the root of that escapism. So prayer, I would have defined prayer as the centering of oneself. And, and I didn't actually look that up. In Webster's, that's just my own definition. It's the centering of oneself and it's communication with God. It's aligning with the divine. Um, Meditation is a centering of oneself and opening oneself to experiencing God, other words that include peace, love, calm, hope. Um, It is an aligning with oneself in the divine. So it seems to me (laughs) like they are one and the same. The language and the westernization has made meditation some form of gateway to evil (laughs) when, from my perspective, it's simply just a mysterious thing that we don't often have accurate language for to describe the experience or the language has been twisted, which means that it's altogether out of the quote-unquote authorities' control. And therefore, if something is out of their control— It must be stopped. It must be put down, contained, banned from education, and demonized through dismissal. And really, that's simply because they don't understand it. And anything that is not understood is is meant to be contained rather than explored. Because, again, if it's mysterious and we don't have the language for it, and it's not a certain thing, and I can't control it in the end, and I can't control people's experience with it, then we probably just shouldn't, we shouldn't even go there. Before we wrap up, I just want to talk about the benefits of meditation because no matter where you land on this in a spiritual sense, I want to talk about the actual physical benefits of meditation. So we already talked about the learn, learning to pause, learning to stop the rumination cycle. And when we learn to interrupt this cycle, this actually aids people with anxiety, panic attacks, negative self-talk, just general negativity, suicidal ideation, depression, busyness, stress, PTSD, 
complex PTSD. There, and the, the list could honestly go on and on. Learning to interrupt this cycle helps people with any of these serious issues and ailments it helps them interrupt that dangerous cycle that they can get in, that I can get in, that you can get in. Um, it helps us settle the nervous system. And this is also where interrupting that cycle comes into play. When we can get triggered, it helps us literally breathe through it or f- solve a problem in our head. Um when we breathe, we settle the nervous system. When we settle the nervous system, we can think clearer. When we think clearer, we're able to stop harmful cycles or frustrating cycles or anxiety cycles. Um, settling the nervous system also helps with blood pressure and heart rate. And that is where that panic attack can, can be helped and aided as well. It promotes emotional and mental health. And it enhances our awareness of our emotions. It enhances our self-inquiry of emotions and triggers and the past and being able to work through those things helps problem-solving skills. Because again, once you've cleared your mind, you're able to breathe. You can actually solve that problem and you're not stuck in a rumination anxiety cycle. It lengthens attention spans. Um, This is actually like proven with kids and with people that have ADHD and ADD. It may improve neural pathways. Um, There's a lot of evidence about um, chanting and tapping. Tapping is a use, they use that in a lot of therapeutics um, settings. And if you use tapping as well as chanting, that repetitive motion actually helps rewire neural pathways or build new neural pathways. And so it can help with um, memory loss or, um, you know, aging parents. It can help with stress with people that are dealing with aging parents. It can also help with sensory sensitivity because, again, you're you're processing information differently because you've controlled your breath, you've controlled your heart rate, you're building neural pathways, and so you can actually, um, it can help with that sensitivity if you are sensitive to sensories. It can generate kindness. <laughs> it can generate kindness to self. It can generate kindness to others because we're slowing that reactive time between the stimulus and our response. And so we have time to problem solve and react a different way. And that becomes a habit on and off the mat. And we're able to generate kindness and we're able to react differently to ourselves and speak differently to ourselves and react differently and speak differently to other people as well. There's a lot of evidence that shows that it may help with addictions because, again, you're building neuropathways. You are learning to breathe instead of escape. You are learning to be present instead of escape. You are enhancing your awareness and learning self-inquiry about emotional issues that may have happened in the past that then form addictions. It improves sleep. It does improve sleep because, again, you're, you're learning to um, slow, slow your breath, slow your heart rate, settle your nervous system, interrupt the cycle of rumination, and, and it increases blood flow. Um, so those are just a couple of physical and mental benefits of meditation. All that to say, if you are my skeptic friends, I love you dearly, and I value your journey and where you are and what you think about this. Um, I 
was myself a skeptic and I had fully bought into all of the reasons that I had been conditioned to villainize things that I didn't understand. And I wasn't even open to exploring or experimenting. That actually wasn't safe um, in my world. So I'm just now doing that now as an adult. And so if you're my skeptic friends, I totally understand where you are and why you're there. And I just want to tell you that you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to experience new things. You're allowed to change your environment and grow. I learned this week that sharks, I literally didn't know this, uh, sharks won't grow beyond they won't outgrow their tank, their space. So if they're in a fish tank, they'll grow to be eight inches. If you put them in the ocean, they will grow to be full size at eight feet or bigger. And if they're in a tank, they will literally die before they reach maturity. Like they still have room to grow. They could still mature, but they won't outgrow their space. And so some of you are on that journey and you are in that space that you're in and that's okay. But just know that if I transplanted you outside of that and I allowed you the space to grow and think and change and decide, there's a whole world of information that you could decide for yourself what you think about it. And some of us were conditioned Um, to believe that that wasn't true, that we weren't allowed to know things, that we were only allowed to know what was approved for us to know. Like meditation, it actually it actually holds hands and marries very well with some of my original beliefs. And I do still believe in prayer and I do still believe in meditation at the same time and they and they go together so well. So just like a goldfish or a shark, if you want to change your mind, You may have to change your environment. You may have to surround yourself with people that ask hard questions and are okay with just going, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm okay with that. If you want to explore this further, I would love to continue this conversation with you. In the next episode, we're actually going to explore some meditation, and this is something that we're going to do regularly in in different episodes. We're going to do drive time meditations. We're going to do morning rituals. We're going to do bedtime meditations and maybe even some guided imagery meditations and just kind of play around with those things and explore them together in a in a safe space that you can go I don't really love that one but the bedtime meditation I loved that one you know or or whatever so just know that we're going to keep exploring together and just know that you're on a journey and you're allowed to change your mind and you're allowed to experience new things and experiment with things and decide for yourself what lands and what doesn't so maybe for today an easy place to start if you are new to meditation or even prayer. Um, an easy place to start is just to practice sitting. <laughs> and I know that sounds really basic, but it's true. Just on a couch or on a pillow up against a wall if you want some support and kind of some grounding to, to be able to ground yourself and kind of combat some of that fear is is a good place to start against a wall, um, up against the couch, up against a bed, whatever feels good. And then just relax and listen to your breath and start there. Literally practice sitting, practice unclenching, practice relaxing, and practice listening to your breath. And then if you want to take it a little bit farther, maybe think about one single word. Just pick a word and inhale that word and exhale that word. Whether it's love, inhale love, exhale love. If you need more patience in your life, inhale patience, exhale patience. 
if you need more peace, if you need direction, like whatever it is that you feel like you're needing that day, just learn to like inhale that and exhale that. And maybe write down what happens and just let that be exactly what it was. And it might have felt stupid and it might have felt awkward and clunky and it might have been the most uncomfortable thing that you've done that day. (laughs) And that's okay. That really, really is okay. Thank you so much for joining me for episode three. I hope that this was illuminating and enlightening and the start of a beautiful exploration. I'd love for you to join the conversation, so feel free to comment on the episode and and we'll just have a conversation together and explore this together. Our music and engineering is done by Michael Curtis and he does such a fantastic job. Thank you, Michael. And I can't wait to explore this more with all of you. I'll see you next time.